welcome back to the wise man's page the daily podcast where we read patrick Rothfuss's the wise man's fear page by page this is page 642 but i couldn't kill her not like this not wielding my newfound magic like a dissecting knife i spoke again and the wind brought her down among the pillows i made a tearing motion and the silver flame that once had been my breath became three notes of broken song and went to play among the trees I sat. She reclined. We looked each other over for several long minutes. Her eyes flashed from fear, to caution, to curiosity. I saw myself reflected in her eyes, naked among the cushions. My power rode like a white star on my brow. Then I began to feel a fading, a forgetting. I realized the name of the wind no longer filled my mouth, and when I looked around I saw nothing but empty air. I tried to remain outwardly calm, but as these things left me, I felt like a lute whose strings were being cut. My heart clenched with a loss I hadn't felt since my parents died. I could see a slight shimmer in the air around Valyrian, some shred of her power returning. I ignored it as I struggled frantically to keep some part of what I had learned. But it was like trying to hold a handful of sand. If you have ever dreamed of flying, then come awake, dismayed to realize you had lost the trick of it, you have some inkling how I felt. Piece by piece it faded until there was nothing left. I felt hollow inside and ached as badly as if I discovered my family never loved me. I swallowed against the lump in my throat. Valyrian looked at me curiously. I could still see myself reflected in her eyes, the star on my forehead no more than a pinprick of light. Then even the perfect vision of my sleeping mind began to fade. I looked desperately at the world around me. I tried to memorize the sight of it, unblinking. Then it was gone. I bowed my head, half in grief, and half to hide the tears. That's the page and the chapter. I'm Jeremy. I'm Jordana. And I'm Nick, the leader of the group. He's cool but rude. That's right, I get to be Leonardo and Raphael. Okay, Hmm. but I have a thing. Go ahead, Donatello. Before you go on some tangent about turtles. Okay. What if, like, because, okay, so you know how there's sort of that thing about how the namers sometimes go kind of crazy? Yeah, there's a whole uh, asylum right? dedicated to them. Do you think, well, yeah, do you think maybe they go crazy from the loss? Oh. Like when they, like when something like this happens? That's But so like interesting. more extreme? I like that a lot. Like, maybe that loss drives them mad. Yeah. I Even if that's not the case for all of them, I think it's certainly likely that it's the case for some of them, much in the same way, and perhaps they are related, in the same way that the, the people who Valerian drives mad don't go mad because of her necessarily, but because they are made to leave her presence. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because like Foth is saying that like it feels like he found he finds out like his family never loved him. Like that's that's that'll that'll fuck you up real good. Yeah, <laughs> like I I think that you're really you're you've hit on something that I find really compelling about this sequence, which is that this would in a worse book this would be like when a character in Dragon Ball Z finds a new level of Super Saiyan to go to, and they like go and they get really beefy, but. This and like, because this is, you know, in the crudest technical terms, this is like a real power up moment for Quoth, uh, where he gets, you know, magically powerful enough to subdue this like primordial fey being. 
But I think the what elevates it and makes it feel more profound than just a Dragon Ball Z power up is the emotional weight of the moment, both in what inspires this transformation and then how Quoth feels about the power once he has it and starts to lose it. It it feels like what I think part of what it does, I guess, is it connects his naming and his sleeping mind to his creativity in the same way that his music is. And we know how bereft he feels, how incomplete he feels without his music. And now this is a thing where like this is like like him discovering a whole new kind of music to play and then that being sort of taken away from him flowers uh, flowers for Algernon style. Cool. And if one wanted to go one step further, I think that if you are of a mind that naming and music are just two faces of the same die, then this loss kind of connects those things as well. Yeah, interesting. And maybe that's why Kvothe ends up having the knack for it, so to speak, is that because he is musically inclined, he's able to access it more easily that way. Well, which came first, the chicken or the knack? You know, like, did his his gift for music enable him to be a better namer, or did his gift for music spring from the fact that he is innately good at naming? Yeah, and indeed, good question. And I think his unique upbringing and circumstances also make him uniquely see, su- su- suited to the career of a uh, special naming boy. Very good. He... He even, now that I'm looking at it, describes the loss in terms of music, right? He describes himself as a lute whose strings were being cut. And, like, that's such a good image, too, because it's not like they're cut all at once, right? A lute has, like, you know, a neck with strings on it. You're cutting them one at a time. Mm-hmm. It's like hearing those strings go boing, boing, boing. Yes. I want to talk briefly about Florian's reaction. It's interesting because she seems to go back to curiosity after this and, like... I think she treats him differently. She never really tries to dominate him again. Although he does have to kind of trick his way free. Um, But I just think it's interesting that she goes from like, probably the first time she's ever felt in mortal peril from uh, a human. I expect she has, you know, she was uh, involved at least a bystander in the creation war. So she's no stranger to like danger, but this is probably the first time in a long time she's been in danger. Then she pretty quickly goes back to like, oh, interesting. This human uh, fought back. Uh, how 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 quaint. I mean, it's yeah. possible that she also might be aware that the ability is fading uh, from both. That's true. Yeah, well, especially because it seems to be represented in physical form in Faye as like a bright white light on his head that dwindles as his power leaves him. So she probably does realize that she's not in any more immediate threat. But I think she's probably also thinking like, man, if I provoke him like that, that'll happen again. Mm-hmm. I, I do think that she didn't realize that what she was doing to him would would hurt him this way. And I don't think that she wants to deliberately hurt him. I don't think that's her way. Uh, and I also think that she's never encountered a mortal who could do this before. So now Quoth has been upgraded from an amusing prey, just like everything else, every other mortal that makes its way into Fae to like something more like a, a peer or at the very least a curiosity, right? Eventual 
something like approaching people right now. She's like, you're immortal and you did that. I want to like talk with you. I don't just want to like sex you to death anymore. Mm -hmm. I feel like this would be like the point in a dungeon world game where it would be like, okay, update your bonds. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Absolutely. Is there anything else we want to talk about on this one? I'm all good. Are you sure Jordana? Are you sure you're all good? Oh, yes. Wait, no. Yes, no. Wait, no. Uh, I have it. I have it. I do. This was the end of a chapter. This chapter was called Blood and Bitter Rue, which we already talked about the other day because it was on the page. And then we talked about how rue is an herb, but it's also the other thing. But the herb was also like too specific in its uses to not be on purpose. Well, it's a great name for an herb. It's a bitter herb, and also it means like to lament something. It's a great, it's a great word. It's also a key plot point in a movie I swear exists, but I have yet to find any evidence of it existing. I watched it a lot when I was a child. The movie is The Talking Parcel, a uh, weird fantasy movie. Uh, where a girl finds a parcel with a parrot in it that uh, talks and he takes her to a fantasy world that's kind of like Narnia, but weirder. And then in the end, they feed Rue to a bunch of weasels and it makes them brave enough to fight the cockatrice army that has uh, conquered the kingdom. So that's what I think of when I think of Rue. And if anyone has ever encountered this movie, please write in and tell me I didn't make it up because I have not been able to find any evidence this movie ever existed. It is a book, uh, and from I'm Wikipediaing it right now. It's a book from 1974 by Gerald Durrell, and then it was turned into a film in 1978 by Cosgrove Hall Films. Well, that must be it. Gerald there you go, Nick. You're not nuts. Durrell. Didn't Gerald Durrell write, not Dinotopia, but there was another dinosaur book series. Uh, Four times? He wrote My Family and Other Animals. Uh, he wrote uh, bu- bu- bu. Hmm, where's just give me his bibliography god damn it yeah he was like an archaeologist or some shit he did oh yes the uh, I know him from the the fantastic dinosaur adventure uh, and the fantastic flying journey two books featuring the same characters that I read a lot when I was a kid but apparently he was more uh, well well wrote than them than those those two. Interesting. I didn't know he wrote The Talking Parcel. Well, there you go. There's a connection. It's all coming together. That's right. That's right. Well, um, maybe I'll try to find uh, a copy of this movie and uh, watch it and see if it holds up. Indeed. Have fun. Thanks. (laughs) All right. We're done with the page for real this time now, right? Yes. Do I want to read a letter? Sure I do. I love letters. I love when you, the listener, write us with information. This letter is from Curtis, who writes on Three Penny Tinkers. On the three pennies requested by the tinker. You did not discuss the pennies. How did you let that pass you by? Maybe you thought it was too obvious, but I think that it is worth pointing out even so. The penny materials are significant. Iron, copper, and silver. Iron is vexatious to fay. Copper seems to be nameless or unnameable. Silver, I admit, I admit, is less special, but it feels symbolically associated with cold, reflective bodies, like frozen pools or highly polished mirrors or water or air. 
transparent fluids to me. Uh, this is Nick breaking in uh, the moon. I think the, the silver is associated with the moon. Uh, back to the letter. Brayden, I believe, has some association with silver, and he maybe has connections with the Chandrian or Cinder specifically. Also, this seems to reflect, no pun intended, the locks of the thrice-locked chest, iron, copper, and one unseen. I do not think this is really a coincidence. The fact that the Tinker accepts an iron penny without even the slightest complaint or wince or change in feature seems to me a hint that Tinkers are probably not fey as we know them, although it does not perfectly preclude the possibility. I also think that the vintage halfpenny is perhaps important on a symbolic level. Rothfuss recently, last year, two years ago, sometime during the COVID pandemic, put up a video in which he explained a then-new fandom item which he was selling. A vintage penny is special in that it can be easily snapped into two halfpennies. On its obverse, the penny bears a portrayal of Feta Calanthus, first king, always king, kingmaker, and king in life and king in death. Rothfuss also described him as wizard king. One half of the obverse seems to portray him surrounded by soldiers or underlings holding aloft a downwardly pointed sword and a scroll slightly higher than it in the other hand, law and order perhaps, with a sun above him. The other half has him amidst standing waystones in a henge-like arrangement, with sword up as if to uh, ready to attack or defend and some sort of sprig in his other hand with a crescent moon above his head. The plant is an interesting point of speculation, according to Rothfuss. Feta was the posthumous first king of Tarvintus and was followed by his brother Jarvis, as we learn in Quoth's entrance exam. Of note is that Feta is also buried in a barrow, but need not stay dead if he does not want to. One could say that he is a sleeping barrow king and that at least one door of the mine does not bar his passage. We will, quote, learn a little bit more about him in book three, end quote. The reverse of the coin shows a deciduous tree, apparently in summer and winter, divided vertically. To me, it reminds me of the Cathay's tree, but probably is not holly. Anyway, I don't know what it means that this specific coin type was chosen, but I do wonder which half Quoth kept. This might also give new meaning to the eponymous and vintage in uh, and chapter, which are both named Pennysworth, appearing right after the Tinker chapter. I'd love to hear your thoughts. Signed, Curtis. I feel like, but like Curtis covered everything, though. Yeah, I do kind of what, feel that way. What could you possibly add to that? Yeah, I think that the, the you know, iron, copper, iron penny, silver penny, copper penny are, like, out of a story. I don't even know if we've encountered them in a story, but it seems very, like, very, like, stirrific. And that's why the, the Tinker is okay with accepting it. Because I agree that Tinkers are probably supernatural in some way. Um, and that, the, you know, accepting three pennies of different material is, like, good and correct as it would be in a story. I think that more broadly, what you point out as really interesting is that these metals are significant. I don't know that it necessarily, like maybe it's the metal that's significant, not the value of the coin, but we are right in that iron is like pretty straightforward. It's obvious that iron is uh, not uh, the favorite of the Fae. We have surmised that copper has some kind of resistance to naming and namers. And as you say, silver, uh, less clear, but it does seem to evoke the moon. So it might just be that these are like magically important metals. I yeah, I feel like honestly, yet. you between Curtis's letter and that explain like that detailed response, I feel like y'all have covered anything that I might have to say. Yeah. Thanks so much for writing in, Curtis. Although, wait, I do agree with Curtis that like how how did we miss talking about the three pennies? Because that definitely sounds feels like something that we would have talked yeah, about. Yeah, I think it just I, I don't it's just, remember it's just missing small detail. it. <laughs> yeah. Hmm. Well, that's why we have the, the listeners. The misses talking about a thing in a forest. Did we really? And no listener catches it. Did we really miss it? Yeah, well, there you go. A listener <laughs> caught it in this case. Listeners, 
try your best mm. not to catch anything because then it will seem like we covered everything. Uh, but if you do catch something, write in and tell us about it uh, on tomorrow's page of the Wait. Wait. Wait.